calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. Yes. It is And we are here to bring you an extremely upsetting topic this week. Yes. But a necessary one. A necessary one. It's it's necessary because as we touched on in our mini-episode, there was a shooting there were three shootings, but there was one shooting in particular in El Paso um, where the shooter was a white nationalist, had an entire manifesto uh, talking about the infestation of Mexican-Americans and Latin Americans coming yeah. to this country, et cetera, et cetera. And I saw a lot of reactions to this shooting. I saw mental illness. I saw video games. I saw distressed lone wolf. I saw all of these things. I see lone wolf a lot. You must go, like, into the depths of social media way more than I do because I found, without even really trying, I've kind of stopped scrolling. Like, I do every once in a while. That's good. But I don't... I find myself not caring as much. I go on Instagram because I like to look at the tags of things that I follow, like TV shows and different things like that. But I've found that I... It's it's a good and a bad thing because I feel like I'm less aware on a daily basis of certain things that are going on. Even though I am aware, I don't know, like, the full stories of everything. But on the other side, I've found that I am less angry and I'm able to more so focus on, like, my reactions to things. So it's yes. kind of a double-sided coin here. Like, it's hard to I decide mean, if it's a good or bad thing. Of course, there's pros and cons. I do think for myself, anytime this happens, yeah. anytime there's a shooting... Um, and I start seeing these people come out of the woodwork. Mm-hmm. First of all, I've unfriended so many people just because oh, yeah. I don't need that kind of toxicity on my page. But they still creep through somehow. Um, I'm still seeing them, like, on my page. And I'm really struggling with whether or not to clear out the rest of them because there is part of me that worries about my social media feed and... Worry, worries that maybe I'm curating it to become an echo chamber for myself and not taking a look at... The other things. The other stuff, because, yeah. like, you cannot 
hide from this. Like, and you can't say that, like, right. it doesn't exist. Well, do you know what I've done that I don't check on things immediately, especially with Facebook, because those notifications come up constantly? My Facebook is on, like, the third page of my iPhone. It's not on my front page anymore. And that helps a lot because I'm not seeing notifications all the time. And I think I might do that with my Instagram as well. Although I like to know when we especially have a message for our show. So I like to see those I mean, and, and therein becomes the issue, right? Like, but, then, but you should be able to choose when you want to look at it. For me, when I see I have an email or if I see I have a notification, I want to get that little red bubble gone. I don't mm-hmm. like seeing it, so I'll check on it right away. And it takes me away from what I'm doing in the moment. Yeah. I mean, it's it's hard, too, because... Even though I know better at this point, I know better. Like, I've been around in social media long enough to know that you are not going to change anyone's mind. There's still this weird corner of my brain that's just like... You want to still retaliate. Or not even... It's not even, like, about retaliation. It's about education. It's like, there's a corner of my brain, even though I know it won't work, that's just like, if I can provide this person with the right information, Mm -hmm. if I can just give them the right information, then... I can make them see reason. Yeah, we actually... And, like, that's we, not true. Yeah, we had a listener write us in on Instagram um, a few kind of, like, screen grabs of, like, text she was having with somebody who was making sexist remarks and how, you know, she was having a hard time dealing with it. And, like, that's kind of basically what I told her is I was just like, you can't, you know, as much as you want to change this person's mind, a lot of times these people are getting misinformation and they fully believe they are right. About about one in every 200 people that you interact with on the internet is open to changing their mind. Right. And maybe focus on what's right for you. Right. I mean, and maybe you will affect that one person and maybe that's worth it for you. But like 199 other times you're going to. And you have end up drained emotionally. Yes. Like, and you, you have to draw those lines for yourself. Mm-hmm. But anyways. Yeah, let's get back to the let's subject. Get back to the topic. So <clears throat> we are talking today about white terrorism, right wing terrorism. Whatever you want to call it. Want. White right wing extremism. Yes. Um any any and all of those things. So I turned to my trusty Wikipedia for a good definition. And Wikipedia's definition says right wing terrorism is terrorism that is motivated by a variety of different right-wing and far-right ideologies, most prominently neo-Nazism, neo-fascism, white nationalism, and anti-government, patriot-slash-sovereign citizens' beliefs, and occasionally by anti-abortion and tax resistance. So when we think of terrorism, at least... What do you what do you think of the word terrorism, especially growing up? What was the thing for you? That yes, came to I, your I mind? can tell you what I've been conditioned to, to exactly. tell you what yes. terrorism looks like. And terrorism, typically, the way yes. that we were conditioned to believe, looks like Middle Eastern mm-hmm. men. Beards. Yes. You know, you think beards, you think maybe turbans. Yeah. Like that is what we have been conditioned to believe is terrorism. Yes. Because we, you know, I saw this meme that was just like, why are millennials so angry all the time? It's like, I don't know. Maybe it's because we watched 2,000 people get murdered live on TV and things never got better. Yeah. And I think that that is, I think that that informed our idea. We went to war for it, right? There was a yeah. war on terror. And there was all this legislation put in place. It changed the way that we went on planes. Yeah. It changed everything about our lives. And we were told this was the enemy and this was what to be. And feared. this one one type of person 
is a these terrorist. These are terrorists, yes. right? So that we didn't we didn't associate that term with anybody else. And I think that to start this episode, to get to the root of, I think, a big problem of a lot of this is that we are unable, and when I say we, I mean the government, a large population of the United States is unable to see what is happening in our country as terrorism because of the way that we were conditioned and the way that we are meant to believe what terrorists are, but also by the way the media has perceived these people who are doing acts of terror. Right, because even even the language that they use yeah. when talking about young white men, which, by the way, commit more acts of domestic terrorism in mm-hmm. this country than any other group, more acts of terrorism, period, yeah. domestic or otherwise, in this country than any other group. But we have been conditioned to think of young men as innocent in a way that like we have not young white men i'm sorry i should clarify that we have been conditioned to look at young white men as far more innocent than we look at young men of color in general i mean there have been studies that prove that most police officers are white right yeah and they have in general an unconscious bias yeah that perceives black bodies as more dangerous because yeah. there's this whole animalistic history right where we've tried to dehumanize black bodies and and look at them as being aggressive because they are not people to us right and so a child like Tamir Rice right like a child who was murdered at yeah. 12 years old we can look at him and say he was an adult Like, a lot of the media will classify that as he was acting aggressively and he seemed like an adult man. I've seen it with my own brothers because they were, like, big kids. But we look at 17, 18, 19, 20-year-old white boys and men, and we still don't talk about them as if they're, like, fully formed, grown people. Well, and I think that a lot of it, too, is that the people who are talking about these white boys and white men and the people who are the white boys and white men were raised in a very privileged society. And because they can see the the media, when we're talking about a very white media, they're seeing themselves in these people and they know that they're, am I making sense? Like they're both, they're privileged on both sides. So I feel like because of that is creating this sort of like, um, understanding of one another and they're understanding each other's privilege and they're perpetuating it. Does that make sense? Here's something that I heard that I found really interesting. I was listening to Stuff We Should Know and Why Eyewitness Testimony is So Faulty. Yeah. And one of the things said that even if you test very low on the racism scale, which I'm not giving most of these people the benefit of the doubt that Mm -hmm. they're even doing that, right? But Say you did, even if you test really low on the what racism is, scale. What would you test for that? What does that? Test I don't know, like? but there there are tests, I guess, that test your like unconscious bias That's crazy. towards people of color. Um, even if you test low on that, you are still less. It's harder for you to decipher between people who don't look like you. Yeah. So that's why a lot of people will be like, oh, all black people look the same if you're white or like whatever. Just because your brain is not set up to recognize those features the same way that they would recognize your own features. Like that's just kind of like a mental weird thing that we have. And, you know, that's not inherently racist. It's just like a weird psychological thing that we have. Well, because I think that subconsciously people will 
find more recognition in people that look like them, right. even if they're of the opposite gender. Exactly. They're able to notice um, differences and traits yeah. because it's like, oh, well, my eyes are kind of this green blue where yours are more of like hazel or, you know what I mean? Or my nose is narrow and so is yours, so I can understand differences between narrow noses in a way that I can't understand differences between wide noses because I've not been exposed to that as much. Exactly. But because I think like an offshoot of that, like flipping that coin, I do think that there probably is, and I haven't done the research on this, an empathy factor that can be subconscious, subconscious in that if it's someone who looks like you, if it's someone that looks like your brother or your yeah. son, yeah. you know, you go into defensive mode in a way that maybe you don't with somebody who looks differently than you. Because yeah. it, it's it that wouldn't and, be your brother or your son. Yeah, you know? and it's hard because, you know, you see a lot in, um, I see it a lot in especially documentaries that I watch where there is a, uh, a black suspect and the white... Uh, witnesses or people involved will always make sure that they're saying they're not racist, which I'm not necessarily saying in all cases they are or they are not, but I think that there are ingrained prejudices and there are, I would say, some biological uh, things going on because of those stereotypes and and, um, prejudices that you can be the most accepting, but especially with the way we are ingrained in our society, like you can fight it all you want, but sometimes there are things that slip through. Like there are thoughts that I've had where I'm like, oh my God, why did I think that? Like that's not what I believe at all. There are so many really, really good books about this. And I know we're getting a little bit off, but I mean, we're still kind of on. we're totally Um, still on. There are really, really good books about how to combat bias, unconscious bias, because every single person has unconscious bias. The problem is when you can't recognize that, re-examine it and change your way of thinking. Yes. Like you have to be able to do that. And it's not your first thought. It's the way you react to that first thought. And that is what makes this particular subject so difficult because Uh we, and this is what's making me feel like I'm on like you know, for lack of a better term, sorry, I know I shouldn't use the word crazy like crazy this, pills. but it makes me feel like I'm on crazy pills because yeah. if no one is willing to confront this problem uh-huh. ever uh-huh. and everyone, everyone is telling you, the FBI is telling you, terror organizations are telling you, everyone is telling you white nationalism is a threat to our country and people are going to keep dying. Yeah. But all of the country, or yeah. most of the country, 50% of the country, wants to turn around and say, it's got to be video games. It's got to be uh, something else. Mental illness. It has to be something else. But think about the way that each and every American was raised in our schools, in our school system. Absolutely. Our history is fucked. Is fucked. Everything that we are learning is that the Americans, the white men, the Europeans are the heroes of every story. The we're we're telling people that the Europeans were the heroes of Thanksgiving. Like Yeah, you know, it's I I saw something funny the other day. I'm I'm in a Murderinos of Color group on Love Facebook it. and they shared something from King of the Hill um where it was like the Native American man on King of the Hill and Bobby yeah. and Bobby was like are you sure that it was white people who did all that bad stuff? Because I'm white, and this is the first I'm hearing of any of this. You know what I mean? And that was such a good example of, like, yes. And I understand that people have have a really hard time confronting that, like... Your people may not be so great. Right. And, like, but the thing is, here's the thing that I want to say to white people, is, like, you guys have had the benefit of not ever 
being lumped together, right? Look yeah. at this. The majority of terror attacks in the United States are happening by white people, and yet nobody is saying we need to ban all white people. No one's like, scared of me. No one's scared of me. Nobody's still. A, no one is scared. Uh, yeah. Of white people, right? Where like. You see black people who are people crossed to the other side of the street, or you see men with turbans getting dirty looks, or women with hijabs getting dirty looks. Yep. Like, you know what I mean? People They're, are scared of those is, people. Everyone is clumped together, and it's and yeah. yet white terrorism is the largest threat to this country yeah. right now. I it mean, hey, insane. I gotta say, white men scare me more than any men of color. I've just gotta say, like, I don't know if that's a that oh, entitlement horrible... is 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 something. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know if that's wrong for me to say, but in this day and age, like, when I see, a, like, a frat bro or if I see, like, that's what sends my alarm bells ringing. Well, I think the thing that is scary about about that situation is, or about white men in general, is that what my fear is is not necessarily that you are more inherently violent or anything like that. What my fear is is that if anything happens you are more likely to get away with it than anybody well, else. Well, and I feel like if anything were to ever happen to me, I I would rather turn to, like, as a woman, if I was feeling like I was being violated in a public space, I would rather turn to somebody that I felt would maybe have some sort of, like, sympathy for the situation, where I feel like I would never turn to a group of white dudes for help. Oh, I would never turn to them for help. No, you know I, I mean? mean? And, and that's shitty, and I understand that, but, like... There's there is something to be said. We've talked about in past episodes where it's like people who can relate to certain oppressive situations or yeah. trauma have more in common. Actually, exactly. you know what I mean. And exactly. so it's it's kind of easier to like move that way. Yeah, I hope none of that came off as me being like insensitive because I didn't mean for it to be. No, insensitive, I mean, and, and I very like, I, I wanted to say the same thing, but then I also don't want to like hashtag not all white dudes this situation because oh I'll do it because like, it's like <laughs> it's not. It's clearly, clearly we're I'm, not talking about all white dudes. I'm dating a white guy. It was so funny on the episode that he was on. I, I'm half white. A, half my family's white. Yeah, you know what I, I mean? read an email where somebody said something about like uh, white men, and Max was just like, "I'm sorry." <laughs> like, <laughs> but you know what? I also I've seen a lot of. With that said, okay, before we start talking like really in depth about we, white uh, terrorism, we've one paragraph. In I my know. Notes. This is I know. Before we start talking in depth in that, like on the other side of this coin, I will say I have seen a lot of white men taking responsibility and mm-hmm. saying like, you know what? It's our job yes. as white men to be calling this shit out because. Exactly. We don't need to be putting this labor on anybody else. Like, we're the problem. Well, and also, they're not only the problem, but they are the people with the power to create a solution. To make a change, right. Exactly. Because as much as women want to make a change, as much as minorities want to make a change, as much as people of color want to make a change, we know that the power in our country lies in the hands of white men. So if there are the good white men out there... Like, my, my beautiful boyfriend, Max Ram, God bless his soul. Yeah, y'all like, need to speak up. He, speak up. And he does. Yeah. And that makes me so yeah. fucking proud because it's like we need more people in the world to not talk themselves out of it and realize and, and look at the problem and start figuring out ways to change it because you do have the privilege to change Absolutely. it. Right? Absolutely. So, all right. Let's get into it. Well, um, I found it interesting that the modern right-wing terrorism first emerged in the U.S. during the Reconstruction era, which is, like, between 1863 and 1877. Right. After and, the Civil War. Yeah. So after the Civil War was a time period called the Reconstruction. Right. 
and it emerged in Western and Central Europe in the 1970s and then Eastern Europe following the dissolution of the Soviet Union in 1991. So it's interesting for me to see how the history and the trends of how these groups have, like, flourished kind of the mm-hmm. waves of these groups mm-hmm. when they've been really prominent and when they've kind of been there's definitely been the peaks and valleys and i yeah. was reading a lot about how we're kind of in a weird unprecedented place we right really now are where in general this this latest wave of white nationalists mm-hmm. being very like out and open and in the public it's kind of twofold it's one as a response to having our first black president yep that that's part of it well because they but, also say that when that the reason that white nationalists come out is when they're feeling threatened. So Absolutely. the fact that we had Barack Obama... Right. There was a... And so the the trend tends to be that whenever there's a Democrat in office, yes. white nationalism spikes. Then typically, if it's followed by a Republican, it will fizzle out. That's yes. why we're in kind of a weird place right now, because we have a president right now who not only condones it, but also incites it yes. that it has spiked further yes, during well, his presidency. And I wanted to give credit where credit is due. The, uh, there's a man named Daryl Johnson who is a former senior terrorism analyst for the Department of Homeland Security. He is the one who wrote back in like 2009 about the growing danger of the right-wing extremism, right. um, kind of listing that as a big uh, trend. And he was saying, look, if we get a Republican president, this may go back down. And Today, he's kind of saying, look, the fact that, like, this is happening right now was not at all what I expected. I was totally wrong. But with the president that we have, he is basically the fuel that's been poured onto the fire, he says, that has taken what was starting with Obama and the racist, awful assholes and then Donald Trump poured gasoline all over everything, and then when he was elected, lit a match, and everything just erupted. You right. Know? So, so Daryl Johnson is the terrorism analyst. Well, um, he was. He's was, no longer. He in was the terrorism yeah. analyst, but he is the one who wrote uh, essentially talking about the spike in white right wing white nationalist terrorism yeah. during Obama's administration, and he. What happened with that is interesting to me. So he came out. He said, hey, we have terrorists in this country. Yeah. They are going to cause a problem. It is going to cost lives. Yeah. This is what's going to happen. And conservatives were so outraged. Oh, yeah. This is bullshit. This is fucking bullshit. They were indignant. They felt like their ideology was being linked to Mm -hmm. terrorism, Mm -hmm. which, of course, is a buzz trigger word. And their xenophobia wouldn't allow terrorism, which is something, you know, that they associate with Middle Eastern people to also be linked to right-wing people. White people. (laughs) White people that they essentially berated Homeland Security and President Obama caused so much of a ruckus, for lack of a better word, that they ended up withdrawing the document. They They withdrew withdrew the document, and within a year, Daryl Johnson left the government. Yeah. So, you know, it's, I mean, it's, they threw such a temper tantrum. That's the only way that I can think of it. I mean, this is what's so mind boggling to me. Why? It's party over everything, it's party over human lives, it's party over. Anything. You would rather believe that, like, your party is so infallible that you'll just allow yeah. people to die. Like, yeah. seriously, like, you just don't care. It's it's the, it's the strangest thing. Yeah. And we see it happening now. Like, we have irrefutable evidence that this is a problem. Mm-hmm. People are being radicalized online 
They're being radicalized in chat rooms the same way you can track. I can't remember. I watched a documentary where it talked about this, the way that ISIS was radicalized. Yeah. Largely online. A lot of that was radicalized because they felt threatened because, I mean, honestly, the West came in and fucked their shit up. It was to blame them. And then they were radicalized by these other people. And then they joined terrorist organizations. It's happening to white people right now yes. in places like 8chan and 4chan in yes. the exact same way. Exact yeah. same there way. There are so many fringe groups. There are so many conspiracy theories. There are so many hubs online. There's like, we are living in a world where information, whatever information you want specifically is at your fingertips and you can subscribe to it. It is absolutely yeah. crazy. Um, I was reading a bit about some of the quote unquote causes of the right-wing terrorism. The first thing I wrote, which was not found online, I just wrote being an asshat. <laughs> like, being an asshat. I mean, uh, God, I mean, it's so hard because I feel like oftentimes, and I, God, I wish I could remember that documentary I watched that talks about being radicalized, but this kind of radical thinking and behavior, I feel like, comes out of feeling Vulnerable. And powerless. And powerless. Yeah. And, and we're seeing it among white people right now because for the first time, they are having to feel something that yeah. that people of color have had to feel forever. And it right. feels like oppression to them, right? Yeah. Like, it's not oppression. It's uh-huh. equality. But for you, because you've had advantages for so long, it feels like oppression. And it right. feels threatening. And it feels like your home is being taken away. And it uh-huh. feels like your, like, rights are being trampled on. Right. When that's not the case. Yeah. So it's like, yes, you're an asshole I mean, I said ass hat. Ass hat. That's fine. Both of those things. You're both things. I don't know what an ass hat would I don't, look said, like. I said ass hat for a long time. <laughs> no, I mean, it's a thing. Like you're sitting on someone's head. I don't know. Um, but but yeah, I mean, like not only are they that, but it's also it's it's they are ass hats, but it's because of a lot of other things. Um, there's this German economist named Armin Falk who wrote in 2011 that right wing extremist crime, which, or REC, is associated with unemployment rates. So they're saying that when unemployment rates go up, REC goes up. They're also saying that populism can be an issue. Which Sorry, is, what's REC again? REC is the right wing extremist, extremist crime. crime. Okay, yeah, and then they're also saying that populism is a cause, which is the concern for the quote unquote ordinary people. So it supports the advancements of the quote-unquote average citizen. This guy, Thomas Grevin, defines right-wing populists as those who support ethnocentrism, which is uh, judging a culture based on its stereotype, and those who oppose immigration. So right-wing populists equals us versus them. And the vocal opposition to Islamic terrorism by Donald Trump has been obscuring right-wing terrorism in the U.S., where right-wing terror attacks outnumber the Islamic and left-wing attacks combined. So that's just kind of an example of this, like, populist us-versus-them mentality Yes, yes. that, you know, they may be feeling like they are in the quote-unquote minority. They're feeling oppressed. They they're feel neither like of those their things. jobs are taken away. How many times do you hear that? So populism is then turning that into this us versus them situation where then they feel like they need to fight back to get the privilege back that they've had their Right. I mean, and then, and then on top of all of that, you have a president, uh-huh. you have someone in charge who is actively, he is, I mean, I, I wish it. I could remember what Beto O'Rourke said when they were talking to him about the El Paso shooting, where he yeah. was just like, what do you want me to fucking say? 
our president, what do you want me to say that the president should say? He is inciting this situation, right? Like, he is stoking the flames. In fact, um, there was a man named Dave Gomez, who was a former FBI supervisor, and he oversaw terrorism cases, and he told the Washington Post that they hadn't been as aggressive against these, like, white terrorism cells uh, that were happening in the United States Mm -hmm. because, quote... There's some reluctance among agents to bring forth an investigation that targets what the president perceives as his base. Mm -hmm. The president knows... I mean, listen, I don't think Donald Trump is a particularly perceptive or smart person. No. But I do think... He knows who his base is, He knows who his base is. And, like, that's the thing. Don't let them fucking try and trick you into believing that they're fucking clueless. Yeah. Or that, you know, never forget that the president said... a unite the right right wing fucking violent rally yeah. that there were fine people on both sides. Yeah. Never fucking Bullshit. forget that. Not, he yeah. knows who his base is. Mm-hmm. And, and he's, he doesn't in, lose he's it. actively inciting violence. Like it's not just a He's not condoning it. He's inciting it. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, in our mini episode, we were talking about the Dayton, Ohio shootings and the confusion we felt because we are very used to this narrative of the alt-right having these terror attacks. And this was someone who identified as being a leftist and who on the on paper, you know, believed in a lot of the things that we talk about. Mm -hmm. But I cannot look at that person and find excuses. No. And that's the difference. And here's here's the thing as well. Like here's the other thing. Most right not right wing, most people who commit mass shootings Mm -hmm. in this country are white. Yeah. Male. Mm-hmm. Misogynist. Yeah. And... Racist. Oftentimes racist, but very often, I mean, like, the the numbers of domestic violence, uh, we read that book, God, what was that book called that we read for our live show? Dead Girls. Dead Girls. They had a lot of passages in that book that referred to the number of mass shooters or people who commit violent acts as having previously been convicted of domestic Domestic violence. violence, So I think that there are a lot of issues at play and not all of them have to do with being right wing. Okay. So like I will totally admit that not all of them have to do with being right wing. Not all of them have to do with being racist. Very often though, they are white, they are male, they are misogynistic at the very least. Yeah. Um, in general. Yeah. I think that that's the thing is that, I mean, I know many people in my life who are, like, I mean, I, I the, the person I can think of the first off the top of my head is my dad, who's this hippy dippy, love everybody, very liberal on the outside. Doesn't mean he's a great person. Doesn't mean he always made the right decisions. My dad's obviously not a killer. My dad didn't do anything like that. But for me, it's the first example I can think of where you can buy into those ideologies that I would agree with and not necessarily always follow through with what you're speaking. You know what I mean? Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I do think, you know, just to touch on that very briefly, I mean, we are talking about white terrorism, white nationalism, but I will say, because because it is a huge threat to our country, which yeah. we, we will talk more about that, but I will say this issue is multifaceted. We are not blind to that. Not every single person who commits an act of... Um, terror? M- an act of terror, but I don't even want to call it that to confuse it with terrorism. Not every single person who uh, commits a mass shooting, mm-hmm. right? Or even, like, a bombing or, like, anything like that. Not every single one of them is a right-wing terrorist, no, right? because like that was actually a thing researching this. I was looking for 
like lists and information about specific cases mm-hmm. and not all of them tie into right. that. Not all of them tie in. Yeah. But and so we understand very clearly that this is a multifaceted issue, right? But we also do need to look at the facts that are at hand for us. Yes. And most of these shooters are male and young men. Most of them are uh, white. Yeah. <laughs> and misogynist. Misogynist. And so like you have you have that, but also on the other side to bring it back into like what we are talking about today. White nationalism is something that is so specific. White terrorism is something that is so specific and why it is so scary outside of mass shootings just being scary, right? Yeah. Like, because any of these people having access to weapons that can kill 30 people in 30 seconds is fucking super scary. Yeah. But the thing that sets white nationalism apart from all of that is the radicalization aspect. These people yes. have been radicalized. They've been red-pilled in in one yes. way, you know. Well, I would actually, you just segued beautifully, Miss Keegan. Wonderful. Thank you. So the Anti-Defamation League reports that white supremacist propaganda and recruitment efforts on or around college campuses have greatly increased with 1,187 incidents in 2018 compared to 421 in 2017. That's 1,187 in 2018, 421 in 2017. And the Anti-Defamation League also calculated that 73.3% of U.S. extremist-related murders in the past decade were committed by right-wing extremists, including white supremacists. 73.3. That's a massive percentage of extremist murders. It's Almost all of them. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. Well, and the, the tactics that they're using, you know, when you think of somebody going onto a college campus, like, I didn't go to a regular college, but I have spent time on college campuses, and there are the people who have, like, the leaflets, and they're they're there to talk to you, and you, you've got a wide variety of people that are there. And think about that age, right? Like, you're feeling vulnerable. You're yes. feeling lonely. You're feeling like you need to make friends. Yes. You could easily fall in with... Exactly. And their tactics are enticing. Their tactics include leafleting, violent rituals, and house parties to recruit. House parties. Right. Rock parties. Like, you're in college. You're away from your parents. You're like, there's a party over there? Sweet. I'm going to go. And then they target angry, marginalized youth looking for solutions to their problems. And I read this as well, and I think that this... I don't think standalone this is a problem. I think tied into these other things that it can be a problem. They're talking about using extremist music um, and how music is less likely to be monitored by, like, parents and school authorities, things like that, where things as, like, partying, leafleting, violent rituals, things like that can be, like, monitored by the people of the school. But I feel like I'm not one that's like, it's that darn rock music that's doing it to these kids, you right. know? But, but, there, I, but there is something. I mean, I read something years ago, and who knows how true this is because I have no idea where I read it. Yeah. But, but I did read something years ago that argued that music can be very influential because it, like, surpasses that part of our brain that, like, critically analyzes things. Right. And so... If you listen to the same thing kind of like over and over for long enough, it's like it a can mantra. seep into your subconscious. Well, and it's music is a scary thing because people can interpret it in a million different ways. Like I think of Charles Manson with Helter the White Skelter. Album. With the White Album. Yeah. I was listening to that on vinyl today when I was doing my research. And uh, there was a song about the piggies, and that's all I could think of was like the Manson murders. And then you and, like, think about the poor artists. Like you think about the Beatles, and you're like, they, they were didn't like, intend what that. the fuck? Yeah, they yeah. didn't intend that shit. But yeah, we, the thing is, is that when it comes to music and extremist quote unquote music, 
like that is that like it's all about the listener's interpretation of it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. yeah. So terror attacks around the world have receded since 2014, falling from about 17,000 in 2014 to about 11,000 in 2017 according to the University of Maryland's Global Terrorism Database. However, while Islamic terrorist attacks are decreasing in the Middle East, the U.S. has seen a recent surge in aggressive white supremacy and neo-Nazism yeah. in the United States. There were 65 terror-related incidents in the U.S. in 2017, up from six yep. in 2006. Yeah, there was like 70, I, I have here where it says... Um, that a 2017 report by the the National Institute and Center for Investigative Reporting looked at the terrorist incidents in the U.S. between 2008 and 2016, that 115 of them were far-right terror incidents and that there were 79 deaths total. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so. of the 65 terror-related incidents in 2017, 37 were tied to anti-Muslim, anti-Semitic, or other racist xenophobic, yeah. xenophobic motivations. Well, and that's and that, from the Washington Post. And that makes a lot of sense to me because what we were speaking about earlier with the the fear that was conditioned into us, like, we were very young when 9-11 happened, and I was I was nine. You know, like, my, my brain was still very much a sponge, willing to take in whatever was going on around me, mm-hmm. and there was such a sense of fear that it doesn't surprise me that, one, it began to... It, these terrorist attacks by the white population began to flourish at that time, and two, it doesn't surprise me that my generation, the ages of people who I, who are my age now, would be would continue to do it because of the way that I was raised. I can see where people would have that those ideals. And depending up. on the where you were, like yeah. I was in the Midwest. I was eleven years old when nine eleven happened, and we had a Republican president. We were yep. going to war with brown people. Yeah. You know, there was this very patriotic, very, you know, American sentiment that was happening in the country yeah. at that time. Like, yeah. fucking, I'm proud to be an American was A lot playing of red, everywhere. red ribbons everywhere. Tons, not red, yellow, sorry. And tons of um, flags. Like, there was a lot Songs? of support. And it turned. And I remember it turning whenever people were starting to realize, yeah. like, this is kind of bullshit. Like, the the war and everything, and, mm-hmm. and everything becoming kind of anti-war. And I felt that being in a conservative community yeah. in in the Midwest, I felt that frustration that people were feeling. And it, so it doesn't surprise me that not only with that happening, but then the election of the first black Democratic president, yeah. that people started Happening to following turn. after Bush. Yes. Yeah, yes. it's it's really interesting to see. Like, if I were to read our history of just when I was alive as a novel, it's interesting to see how it all makes sense when you think about it. With the way that we were raised, I, I mean, was, I was in a I was in Catholic school when this happened. Like, my family was always very anti-war, and I was raised in a family that was very, very, very liberal to the point where I was not. Um, accepted because of it but like I was still in a community of people who very much supported the president and very much supported mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the I was in a house that did yeah we yeah. had Bush Cheney like things in our front yard you know what I mean oh god my parents would have been like <laughs> <sighs> but you know I think it's I was just having this conversation with my friend Thomas which he does listen to the podcast so hi Thomas hi Thomas um, but I was having a conversation with him about how, like, isn't it crazy to think about how 
we think about Obama and how like, wonderful that was. And like, yeah. it's so wonderful that that happened. Uh, he wasn't a perfect president, but he was a good president. Yeah. He was a good person. And um, it was amazing that we he had like our, our first black president. But isn't it crazy to think about how if we had not had a black president, we might not have had Donald Trump. Like we might not have we might not be where we are right now. Yeah. It was just this weird fucking, like, it's a mind domino. It's to think about it. Yeah. It was this weird domino effect. Everything had to land kind of just perfectly for us to end up in the situation where we are yeah. right now. Like, we had to have Trump and Cheney happen the way it happened. And Trump then we, and Cheney? Sorry. We had to have Bush and Cheney happen the way it happened, and then we had to have... Our first black president, which yeah. just made that base even angrier. And then yeah. we had to have the most racist, it was xenophobic a, president. Yeah, I mean, we we saw some right-wing attacks when Clinton was president and some anger. And then we saw it kind of subside when Bush was president. But then we saw so much uh, fear when it came to, you know, so much Islamophobia. And then having our first black president, who was also, his name was... It was his middle name, Hussein. Yes, it was. Like, you know, there was so much fear around that. And then having, like, this white bread Trump come in, it almost, I think, like, it fueled that fire that well, we had someone who was willing, so who was willing to come forward and say, like, you had a bunch of people who were being like, he's saying exactly what I'm thinking. Yeah. And that made them want to vote for him, you know? Yeah. And, but that's also what has spurred on, I mean, there have been... Reports that have come out that have said that every single place where Trump holds a rally, the hate crime statistics spike. Yeah. And I actually saw something. I can't remember if it's the ACLU or someone put out a um, travel advisory for the United States. I've never seen this in my life. Yeah. Ever in my life. There is a travel advisory that has been put out for people traveling to the United States because of mass shootings. Yeah. Like, Hey, man, like, it's the same way if we were traveling somewhere, quote-unquote, dangerous. Yeah. Like, this might happen if you're in a public place. Yeah. They have released Here a are travel. Here places you can go. Or, like, watch out for this, watch out for that. This yeah. is what to do. Great. And isn't that... It's, it's great, scary, but, that, but like, like they, up? you have to fucking know. Like, we're living in a Like, the United States. Place. The United States. Yeah. Like, and it's hard for me to explain to, like, Gen Z kids exactly what it was like growing up in the 90s because there was so much fucking pride around like being an american yeah it was like you were th- you felt like you were the best you, you would like, wear your old navy american flag t-shirt yeah. every goddamn fourth I, of July. I had a bandana that shit was yes. bomb um do we want to go into talking about some specific instances or do you want to talk about this first yes i would really quick like to talk about a specific conspiracy theory because it will please, tie please. into a, a a lot of the incidents that we're going to talk about and there are some other theories uh, throughout the incidents that we are going to speak about. But I want to talk about the white genocide conspiracy theory. Oh, oh yes. Please enlighten yes, us. I will. Because this one is, like, it's, fucked. Yes. So it's also called the white replacement theory or white extinction. It's the belief originated by the American Nazi Party and the neo-Nazi David Lane, who believed Jewish people were responsible for the genocide of white people, and it grows from there. So believers of this conspiracy see a plot to promote miscegenation, which is mixing of races, mass immigration, racial racial interrogation, low fertility rates, abortion, government land confiscation from whites, organized violence, and eliminationism in supposedly white-founded countries to exterminate white people through forced assimilation and violent genocide. They blame the political left and minority groups. There's absolutely 
no evidence that white people are dying out. They will not die out anytime soon or ever, probably. They're still the majority in the United States. Or that anyone is trying to eliminate them as a race. There's no evidence that supports this whatsoever. I think is interesting, you know, is like white pride is based in hate. Mm -hmm. Like there is no other way to say that. Every other pride that I've ever seen, black pride. Black pride is based in love of being black. Like, you love being black. It's the same thing it's, as, like, gay pride. Yeah, it's, it's, like, not, it's, not about, it's not about hating other people. It's yeah. about, like, I love being black for these reasons. Like, yes. I feel pride in, in who I am for these reasons. White pride is about eliminating everybody else. Mm-hmm. And, like, that to me is so strange and vulgar. Yes. And because with this conspiracy, they've flipped... And they've said that they want to be oppressed so bad. They, I know they're saying that they're being exterminated. That they're because of interracial marriages, because of like combining of cultures and immigration and all of these things that we are that the white people are deteriorating as a race. And there's absolutely no evidence for it. But you say enough of those things, you use enough like well, and the thing is, like, and words that people believe it. First of all, race is a social construct. But like, secondly, like. You also know that this is bullshit. Yeah. And, like, you just don't like brown people because no one seemed to have a fucking problem. Like, I look back. I'm half black and half white, right? My black culture has been wiped away because of fucking slavery. So I'm just yeah. black because my African culture has been wiped, you wiped don't, away. You do I don't know, know your full history. where I come yeah. from, right? Because of fucking slavery. That's, that's the colonizer's problem. But my white half, they've been in this country for... Forever. Like, yeah. since, like, I mean, they came over very, very early on ships, like, yeah. into Virginia. Like, very, very early. And intermarried. So my white culture is just white culture, right? It's yeah. not it's not Irish culture, whereas, like, Anthony, his family is Irish. Like, Irish yeah. and Filipino. Like, he knows exactly where they came from. They're Irish and they're Filipino. I don't have that. I'm white and I'm black. Yeah. And I know that this is racism, because y'all didn't have a problem with cultures mixing together no. whenever it was German people and Irish people, like, getting together. My family. Whenever, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? I'm like, y'all yeah. didn't have a fucking problem with countries and cultures and different people from different ethnic groups yeah. marrying each other until it was brown people. Yeah. And until then all of a sudden it was a fucking issue. Marry white people. Yeah, and then it was an issue. So, like, guess what? You're racist. Like, if that's what you think, yeah. then you're racist. If you... If you didn't have a problem when it was another white person of another culture, yeah, then you're racist. Yeah. Like, that's all that there is. Well, and the purpose of this whole conspiracy is to scare white people and justify the commitment to the white nationalist agenda. It's very much like they are going to feed into everything that you uh, have in the back of your mind that you may be scared of when it comes to not being the privileged white person that you are. And they're going to feed into that with any little shred of information they can get that is false to make you believe that it is well, true. I really feel like, and maybe it's like the several white claws I've had at this point, but like I feel like people, they cling on to whatever makes them feel exceptional, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. And if the only thing that you have that like makes you feel exceptional is, is that, that you white? were born white and that somehow makes you inherently better... <laughs> You know, like, it's going to be really, really difficult for you to start seeing other people being allowed or given the opportunities that you had by right, like, by birth, you know? Well, and then um, Donald Trump has even said, you know, he talks about, like, the, the land and the farms that are being seized 
in South Africa and things like that and all of the things that he says in accordance to, you know, jobs and land being taken away is the so quote unquote evidence that is being put into this conspiracy. Another one that I just have one sentence on that I found interesting. <laughs> Great. I see it. Was the QAnon conspiracy theory. QAnon. Which is the detail. This is it, wild. It's super. I wish I had gone further into it, but I have so much other shit that I would love to. I'm going to read it on my own time. QAnon is wild. I would advise everybody to educate themselves. It's bonkers crazy. So it's this like secret plot by an alleged deep state against Trump <laughs> and his supporters. Yes. And also that. Um, I don't know what's going on with QAnon now, because I know for a long time they believed that during the Mueller report, what would happen was that Mueller was actually working for Trump against the Clintons and Obama, and that when he dropped his report, it was going to be, it was going to arrest the Clintons, and it was going to do, like, all this shit. So that didn't happen, so I wonder what QAnon believes. They're they're able to spin it, I'm sure. I'm sure they are, but, I mean, these people, like, QAnon chat rooms are amazing, because they're all, like... I, my, my wife left me, my fucking kids won't talk to me, but I know this is the truth. And it's like, all right. Okay, okay. Sure, sure, Jen. So, sure, sure, Steve. Let's go into some of these um, specific instances of terror. Let's do it. Um, so in that 2009, I think it was, report mm-hmm. that the FBI terrorist director... Daryl Johnson. Yes, that he, he gave, he stated explicitly that one group that would be susceptible would be war veterans yeah. who come home and they feel disenfranchised. Yeah. Now, that report was given well after this case of domestic terror, but it echoes a lot of the same themes. So, if you guys have not done it, I think it's still on Netflix. There is a PBS documentary, and it is so well done. I think it's called Oklahoma City. Oh, yes. I think it's called Oklahoma City. It is... It's so good. So good. It is so heartbreaking. I watched it twice. It is so well done. Wow. Um, But they detail kind of Timothy McVeigh, who is the bomber um, who bombed Oklahoma City. They detail his, like, how he got there, kind of. And, like, his rise into extremism. And it is an interesting thing to watch. And he was a war veteran, or uh, a military veteran, rather. Timothy McVeigh murdered 168 people, including a vast number of children. There was a nursery in the building that he bombed, in the federal building. And when you see these people talking about it, it will break your heart. You've got parents who have lost all their children. They were all in the nursery. It's, like, it's tragic. It's so sad. Um, So 168 people were killed, and... 680 people were injured when he bombed a federal building in Oklahoma City in 1995. He was radicalized by far-right white nationalist ideas, uh, specifically the Turner Diaries. The Turner Diaries is something that he really clung to. He really clung to, I know you were talking about um, people being worried that the government was coming or leftists were coming to take their land. So uh, there was a thing called Ruby Ridge that happened. Waco happened where he was feeling like the government was coming to take their land and their guns. Yeah. Right? And he was also highly radicalized by the Turner Diaries, which is a 1978 novel that depicts the overthrow Mm -hmm. of the U.S. government and eventually leads to a race war and the extermination of all non-whites. And you will see this in just about every instance. Yes, the Turner Diaries is... Well, and even if it's not... If the Turner Diaries isn't mentioned... 
the ideals are mentioned. Right, right. Always. And there are lots of people, um, I didn't get into like a, a lot of the specific kind of like ideologies, uh, but the Turner Diaries is one of them. But there are also a lot of different books novels, short yeah. stories that people will turn to and then they share them online, which yeah. spreads the hate going. Also, this just brings up like when we say these people are being radicalized, they're being radicalized. Like online, anytime one of these right wing shootings or bombings happens, these forums blow up with like, for instance, and I don't know if this is the case, but they would call Timothy McVeigh Saint Timothy. Yeah. Right, and yeah, they yeah, yeah. they canonize these people. They they look up to them. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, so the Turner Diaries talks about a race war that leads to the extermination of all nine non-whites, and it's explicitly anti-Semitic and racist. And again, yeah, it's a favorite among white nationalists. I am not going to go through every single, you know, I terror attack. <laughs> every single terror attack that is yeah. a white nationalist terror attack. But I, the next one that I have on my list is in 2011, there was, and this is not in the United States, I think it's the only, oh no, I have two that aren't the United States on my list, uh, the Oslo-Norway attack yes. by Anders Breivik in 2011. It was an anti-Islam, uh, he was an anti-Islam and anti-immigration terrorist. He bombed several government buildings in Oslo and then proceeded to execute a shooting attack on a Norwegian Labour Party. It's like kind of a left party, yeah. sort of like a Democratic Party. It would be the equivalent of young Democrats, essentially. Right. Um, youth camp. He terrorized the island uh, that held nearly 600 ch- uh, children, many of whom were children of Labour Party officials. The total number of casualties from the bomb and the shooting was 76 in preparation, yeah, the, prep- the perpetrator wrote a 1,158-page manifesto, manifesto in which contained militant far-right ideology as well as xenophobic and Islamophobic views mm-hmm. and argued for the annihilation of multiculturalism to preserve a Christian Europe. Again, that's kind of what we were talking about in that yeah. theory that's afraid that they're going to be wiped out. It also advocated for Europeans to resurrect a crusade against Muslims. He also released a YouTube video just before Mm -hmm. the attack promoting violence against leftists and Islamists. And he considered himself a conservative nationalist and is an admirer admirer of the Tea Party movement here in America. He also classified himself as a fascist, a counter-jihadist, and an Odinist. And I want to just speak on that for Mm -hmm. like half a second. (laughs) Odinist, Odinism. It is a form of paganism, which is mm-hmm. I have no problem with. A form of paganism that comes from Nordic countries, very often associated with um, Vikings. Mm-hmm. And that all sounds great. Have at it. That sounds, sounds fantastic. However, a lot of white supremacists have started latching on to Odinism. So to the point where it's kind of upsetting for a lot of paganists because... Because that's not that wasn't the intention. It wasn't the intention. Yeah. But now, if somebody tells you they're an Odinist, you There's can a connotation almost to certainly um, assume that they are yeah a white supremacist. I want to bring up a couple. Okay, a lot. All of mine are recent. Great. So this is one that I kind of remember hearing about, but didn't know much about. And this is the murder of Timothy Kaufman. Kaufman. Okay. Yes. So on March 20th, 2017, Timothy Kaufman, a black 66-year-old man, was collecting cans for recycling in Manhattan, New York, when a 28-year-old man approached him and stabbed him multiple times with a motherfucking sword. 
Oh, my God. He's a sword guy. Ew. Killed him with a fucking sword. And Kaufman died later on from his injuries. So his attacker turned himself into the police and told them how he traveled from Maryland to New York with the intention of killing black men to prevent white women from having interracial relationships with them. This killer was actually born into a very liberal Democratic family, but has expressed racist views from the age of like three, from what I've read. He only voted for Obama in 2008 because he said of Palin, I couldn't let Palin in there. She's too stupid. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. He said he had been thinking of killing black men for a very long time. He, as well, had a YouTube channel that contained alt-right, neo-Nazi, Holocaust denial, and white nationalist content. He had video titles such as, Blacks know that blacks are violent, so why does the white media pretend they are not? And black, all in all caps, this next one. Black person talks about alt-right destroyed I and then M-G-T-O-W. What the fuck does that mean? Red pill sexy teen cringe. Oh, honey. (laughs) I don't understand what that means, so I thought I would add it in there. And Cordy says he believes that interracial relationships need to end and that he believes, quote, all blacks need to be exterminated. He also says, yeah, it would just preserve the best people and get rid of all the dead weight. Oh, dear. Oh, in court, this man sings like a canary. Like, if you want to know more about this case, look it up because this guy is like. Yeah. Yikes. This is exactly what that's I think. A, that's he a big yikes. back. Yeah. He says killing Kaufman was practice and said he had stalked about 10 to 15 individuals almost carrying out attacks with the same sword. Lovely. The, oh, with the same sword. Yes. I'm sorry. It's not funny. It's just like... But it's a fucking sword. What the fuck, dude? So the killing was intended to start a race war, as he stated in his manifesto. So many people trying to start race wars. That segues right into my next one. Okay. Yay! Um, so we're going to rewind it two years and okay. go to a very famous one, the Charleston Church shooting. Okay. On the evening of June 17th, 2015, Dylan Roof walked into the Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston and opened fire on a Bible study killing nine people. Dylan claimed that blacks were, quote, taking over the world. He supported segregation and planned to start a civil war. He went by the scream name Little Aryan on white supremacist website The Daily Stormer. They're the worst people. Little Aryan. Lil, even. Like, Lil. Lil Aryan. Lil Aryan. BB and Thug. Um, And posed with white nationalist symbols and flags on his social media accounts. Uh. He even made a website that contained a 2,444-word manifesto that included the following... I have no choice. I am not in the position to alone go into the ghetto and fight. I chose Charleston because it is the most historic city in my state and at one time had the highest ratio of blacks to whites in the country. Mm. I have no skinheads, no real KKK, no one doing anything but talking on the internet. Mm. Well, someone has to have the bravery to take it to the real world, and I guess that has to be me. So brave. Shooting a bunch of old people in a church who are praying. He's the creepiest looking motherfucker I've ever that seen That bowl cut, way. though. That bowl cut that is bowl the cut. creepiest, and his eyes, oh, he will haunt me in my motherfucking nightmares. That kid is creepy as fuck. Indeed. I'm going to talk about another really famous one. All right. I know we're running, we're getting to the end here, but I'm going to talk about... We're moving fast, we're moving fast. I've got one more I want to talk about. I've got so many, but I want to bring this one up because it happened so recently and it's pretty famous. I'm going to talk about Charlottesville. Okay. A car was deliberately driven into a crowd of peaceful protesters at the Unite the Right rally. 
they killed, or one was killed and 28 were injured. The perpetrator was known as early as middle school for drawing swastikas and talking about his love for Hitler. It was widely known that he believed in white supremacy. He openly supported Trump during his senior year in 2016. He liked Trump's racial views, and he supported the border wall proposal. So in what I read, there was a lot of interviews with teachers where they felt like they were aware of what was going on and that they had, like, failed him in a way and things like that. Um, he took he took some time off of school and then came back in 2016 during the election when a lot of this was made very, very evident. He admired the Confederate States of America for their military. And his mother believed that he was attending a Trump-related rally on the day of the attack, which I was like, that's a red fucking flag, Mom. 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 His mom made a point to say he had a black friend. Okay, bitch. Listen, I don't give a single fuck. I literally added that because I really wanted to see your reaction I give to that. no fucks. Um, she said that she had never spoken to her son about his political views. I'm just like, fucking parent. How do you not know? Parent your children. Parent your fucking children. And also just like, if you are living in close contact with anybody, don't you fucking know that shit? Yeah. Like at least a little bit? A little bit. You don't have any idea. And I'm not his trying to shift the blame. Knew. Yeah, I'm not trying to shift the blame onto anyone, but uh, I am no, saying but like. come on, mom. Come on now. Yeah. Really? Fucking really. On the morning of the attack, he was seen wearing a Vanguard American shield, and Vanguard is a neo-Nazi organization. So that one, and that's where Trump was like, there are fine people on both sides. And I'm like, go fuck right. yourself. Yes. Um, okay, so <sighs> I'm going to talk about, I've got two more real fast. Okay. Uh, I'm going to talk I'll about. I'll be done with mine. I think the, we're going to take yours. Okay. I'm only bringing this one up because it sparked a lot of our recent hate crimes that we've had happen in the United States, including yeah. a lot of our recent domestic terrorism. It was a lot of people pointed to this and literally said, like, that's why I did this. And that would be the Christchurch mosque shooting yep. um, that happened earlier this year in Christchurch, New Zealand in March. So the gunman live streamed his first attack on Facebook Live, mm -hmm. and he ended up killing 51 people and injuring 49 he was an Australian man, and he was a white supremacist. He was part of the alt right. The attacks have been linked to an increase in white an increase in white supremacism and alt right extremism globally. It has been a global trend, as we've been saying. His motivation was far right extremism, Islamophobia, and white supremacy was yeah. the reasons why he went into this mosque in the first place. As far as I know, he didn't leave any kind of manifesto, but uh, he was very open. Fucking live streamed it. He live streamed it and he was very open about his motivations yeah. of trying to wipe out um, Muslims, essentially. And I wanted to say that one because the El Paso shooter made mm -hmm. direct reference to the Christchurch yes. shootings in his manifesto. So we did talk about this in our mini-episode, but in case you missed it, on August 3rd, a shooter went on a rampage at a Walmart in El Paso, Texas. He left a manifesto, uh, a manifesto which echoed Trump's language about an immigrant invasion, which somebody tallied it up, and Trump had said... Something about uh, an invasion of immigrants from the border. Something like it, dozens of times. His his verbiage that he uses is very. He's used the word invasion or yeah. infestation. Yeah. Multiple times yeah. when talking about uh, people coming up from the border. Right. Um, and this shooter in his manifesto echoed that language using the word invasion multiple times and he also was talking about democratic support for 
open borders and included the words, send them back in his manifesto. Yeah. He wanted to kill as many Mexicans as he could, yeah. uh, he later told investigators. He so. posted this shit, too, immediately before the attack. It's yes, yes, he posted it insane. just before. Um, <sighs> so, yeah, I mean, I know that that's a lot. We got to the end and we got to rushing, so I'm so sorry. Keegan, I am drained right now. But I texted you, and you texted me, too, whenever we were doing our research for this. I'm like, I'm a little overwhelmed. I knew it was a subject that we needed to do, we needed to talk about. And we need to do it now. And we needed to do it right now. But it was also one of those things where I was like, holy shit, there's so much. I was having a very hard time because Max was watching like Caddyshack and like funny things and he's like laughing and I'm like everything's horrible. The world is on fire. I mean and also right now because these attacks just happened and people are finally starting to get really really like fed up with the fact that there is white terrorism. Are they? Because we've been talking about this shit since we started. Keegan. I know, I, I know but not every not every shooting is a white terrorist attack, know, you know what I mean? I and, like, these... The El Paso shooting was a white terrorist attack. Yeah, I mean, it was directly against Hispanic Americans. Yes. Bullshit. And, um, so there are many, if you Google white terrorism, which I encourage you to do, there are many op-eds, there are tons of articles that are being written right now that can give you more information than yeah. we just did. I mean, we're over an hour, and I feel like we didn't even cover... We scratched the surface. We barely covered yeah. anything. I honestly wish that I had covered more um, statistics and details, really. And I, I wish that we had covered more of what it's like to be radicalized. But you know what? If you want information we, on that, you've, we've got a Red Pill episode, and we've got a YouTube episode. Yep. And we have an which, incel episode. And an incel episode, all three of which will kind of detail for you how these people are being radicalized online. How somebody who you think you know, right? Like someone you went to high school with, or any of these people could end up somehow being radicalized online yeah. to the point where they feel like they are willing to lose their lives in a terror attack yeah. on brown people in the United States. It I mean, happens. I'm hoping that with, like most of our episodes, we are not able to give you the full picture. We are able to give you what we were able to scrounge up of information and things that we specifically wanted to talk about and felt were important. Hopefully it sparked your interest. Exactly. I hope that when we do episodes like this, it will only encourage you to become more informed and to... Um, be more aware of the things that are going on and help fight the good fight. Like, we try to do in some small way by doing this show. And counter. Correct people. Like, that's yeah. where I'm at in my life right now. I correct people whenever they try and say anything to me other than white terrorists. Like, yep. call these people what they are. They are terrorists. And we yep. need to start getting our minds wrapped around the fact that that is the language that we need to be using. Exactly. This is terrorism. It is. It is domestic terrorism. And guess what? Nobody is fucking safe from it. No. Nope. No one is safe from this. No. And you know what? We should be scared. We should be doing something about it. Always keep hope. Always find the good in people that you have around you. I never want us to forget that, especially with our last mini episode that we did when I had to end it with, like, a palate cleanser because, my God. You know, I hope that none of this is discouraging to the people that bring you joy and the things that bring you joy. But it is so important for us to start correcting each other and to know more about this because we cannot have this become what our future is becoming right now. Also, so yeah, advocate for stronger gun laws. Right? Because no people kidding. who are this 
racist yeah. and vocally racist on the internet shouldn't maybe be allowed to buy semi-automatic weapons where they can kill 30 people in 30 seconds. Like, maybe maybe that's a thing we should be worried about. But yeah. that's just my opinion. I mean, that's shit that my parents have been talking to me about since I was a fucking infant and nothing's happened. So I'm a little bit cynical when it comes to that. Agree. But do your best. So, you guys, thank you so much. If you need to kind of decompress after this episode and let us know what you're thinking and Go watch Queer Eye. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Go watch watch Queer Queer Eye. Eye. You will feel... Uh, so oh. much better. <laughs> but if you just want to connect with us in some way and have a conversation, I love it when you guys message us and I'm able to uh, interact with you and hopefully make you feel a little bit better about the world. Go ahead and email us at neighborhoodfeminists at gmail.com. We haven't had any sister solidarity stories in a long time, and I really want to know how you and your fellow woman are bringing each other up and helping make a change in the world. If you've had any sort of instances where you felt supported by another woman, I would really like to start hearing more of those for our mini-episodes and sharing them. Go ahead and email us at neighborhoodfeminists at gmail.com. Get us on Instagram. us where everything goes down. Feel free to direct message us and have conversations there at Angry Neighborhood Feminist. Follow us on Twitter if you'd like. Our Twitter is at YAMF Podcast. Y-A-N-F Podcast. We have a Facebook business and group page. We love it when you rate and review us on our business page. We love it when you guys post stuff to our group page so much. And I really would love to see more conversations between our listeners because I think you all could support each other, especially after an episode such as this. Also, we really love it when you rate and review us on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts. We haven't had it in a while. And you guys, we're thirsty for it. So thirsty. So thirsty. I check, like, every day. I'm like, maybe... Maybe maybe today's today's the day. day. Maybe today's the day. Please, sir. Please, sir. I want some reviews. (laughs) And that's really... It's a dumb joke. (laughs) That is a a huge way to keep this going. That is how the show progresses, is by your rates and your reviews on Apple Podcasts, as shallow as that may seem. Please do it. We really appreciate it. Also, we love it when you listen on Radio Public. I know we've shoved it down your throats, but it's a free way for you to listen to us, and it helps us, just just gives us pennies. It gives us little bits, and it brightens our day when we get that email at the end of the month. Here's your monthly listens. Here's 50 cents. <laughs> it makes our lives. Like, it's, we don't ask for much. It really, really, really appreciate it. So, you guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode. That's all we have for today. With all that being said, we encourage you to rage on. Bye-bye. Here's a quick question for you. How did you sleep last night? If your battle for a good night's sleep feels relentless, I have the answer. It's a podcast called Sleep Wave with meditations and hypnosis created to help you fall asleep. My relaxation techniques will help you feel calm and ready for sleep with soft music that will help you fall asleep in minutes. Most listeners never hear the end of an episode. So search Sleep Wave on your favorite podcast app and find out why over a million people have fallen asleep to my voice. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. 
That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.